Welcome, everybody, to Roger's List. This is the podcast where we are watching every single movie on Roger Ebert's list of the great movies. My name is Steve Guntley, and I never drink wine. My guest today is a most distinguished writer and podcaster whose name we know, even in the wilds of Transylvania. You know her from her writings on The Spool and from her amazing podcast, Kill by Kill. It's Gina Radcliffe, everybody. Hey, Gina. I would love to say good evening, but it's actually like four o'clock here. So <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, it's close enough. It's close enough. Welcome. I'm so glad you could be here for thank, today. Thank you. We are, uh, uh, we're, we're in a bit of a time loop here. We're working ahead and talking about Halloween-y stuff. So I hope you're okay with a Halloween-y vibe in September. Um, but I, th- I think we could all use a little Halloween right now. Yeah, I, don't know. I, I, I yeah. say get a jump on it. You know, the life is short, and right now it's very miserable for everyone. So we got to take uh, our we got to take our joys where we can find it. Yes, yes, and I take my simple joys in a humble immigrant who traveled all the way to uh, to England just to kill and eat people. Uh, it's a beautiful story. A beautiful. That's right. We're talking about Dracula today. Dracula, the OG. This was de- this debuted in on February twelfth, nineteen thirty one. Directed by Todd Browning, and it stars Bella Lugosi, David Manners, Helen Chandler, Dwight Fry, and Edward Van Sloan. So, Gina, I wanted to start off with you. Um, why did you want to talk about Dracula? What's your relationship with the with with the big the big Drac man, as I call him, because we're real tight? <laughs> well, I, uh, I I'm a huge fan of vampire movies in general, and you really can't say you're a a vampire fan without you know having some knowledge of this movie because this is it this is you know as you say this is the og and yeah it's it's interesting because there are two different draculas happening here you have the dracula of the bram stoker novel mm-hmm. and then you have the dracula here which was closer to there was a play written by hamilton dean that was kind of loosely inspired by the book but the the look of bella lugosi became just immediately and still is associated with Dracula. Whereas yeah. I, I, I did a presentation on vampire lore in general, and I pointed out that if you read the original text, he kind of sounds more like, like Sam Elliott. He's described as like a, <laughs> which, Hey, you know what? It'd be a Sam hey. Elliott's floating outside my window. I'm, I'm opening that. I'm letting him, I'm inviting oh, him right oh in. Oh my God. Can you imagine the mustache on that bat? But oh my yeah. God. Amazing. <laughs> he, but yeah, he's described <laughs> as an older man with a, a long bushy mustache, not particularly wow. European looking where, you know, as if, you know, you think even like Dracula costumes. Now you still got the slicked back hair. You've got the big like bat wing, cape the the tuxedo all that was in service excuse me in service of the play and not the book originally and that was the striking thing about watching this movie again for maybe god i i don't think i've seen this original version in 25 years at least but it was very striking watching and realizing wow this is really like a a filmed play like they don't do anything in this movie that they can't pull off in a stage adaptation there's not a lot of there's most mostly everything are interior shots um except for that one really excellent scene where um renfield is traveling to dracula's castle oh yeah yeah is so closely mirrored by francis Ford coppola and his version of dracula it's it's a actual like literal like this shot where he's coming up he's approaching the castle that's like a dead he he completely i mean understandably obviously he he was inspired by this but you know even though dracula himself looks very very different in yeah. Coppola's version 
you could see the the blueprint that he used for certain shots and how certain things were were, were set up and and it just they did a lot like a lot of movies in the in the nascent years of Hollywood they did a lot right. with very little yeah 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 I know I remember thinking that there are lots of scenes like the big special effects moment happen happen off camera you know it's like oh what what is that he turned into a dog and ran away like yeah er- everything is very suggested it. everything is completely yeah. suggested you never see big, you never see him kill anybody on screen uh, you I never don't see you, you don't see him die on screen yeah no, you just, none of it. like literally like you just hear him go oh and then it's over yeah <laughs> <laughs> the evil has been vanquished yeah uh. yeah yeah it, it, you know this original dracula movie is this is one of for me like as a film fan this is one of the hardest types of movies to go back and talk about because it's kind of like uh it happened one night in a lot of ways you look at it and just like wow this is just like nonstop cliches but it's like no this is where the cliches these were the creation of the cliches everything stemmed from this this is the ur text of film vampires in america at least you know right and it's hard to escape that legacy and look at what the movie itself actually is this is one of those films I would argue isn't I, – I would not argue this is a great movie. I don't think even uh, if you're reaching for a Dracula movie, this is going to be the first one you pick, like, off the top right. of your head. It's not, but, it's not particularly exciting. Like, no. you, like I said, everything pretty much happens off screen. Everything is suggested. So yeah. if you're expecting, like, something, you know, super bloody and violent, you're, you're not going to get that. No, but this really, really defined what Hollywood horror – would look like for decades and it still kind of defines our definition of vampires in a lot of ways i mean through this incredibly iconic performance that's been parodied to death and like you know so it's it's hard to look at it with fresh eyes and see what it would be like to see in 1931 but there's some pretty incredible stuff here that i'm i'm excited to dig into uh, i want to start a little bit and talk about different adaptations of dracula because this is I think after Jesus, Dracula is the most adapted character of all time, right? Like, I, he's, I he's got to be so. up there. I think uh, it's Jesus, Dracula, and Sherlock Holmes, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. And that's an Avengers I would like to see assembled. Yeah, absolutely. I would, like to see, I would like Alan Moore to write that comic book now, actually. <laughs> I think that would be really fun. Yeah, but uh, the copyright for Dracula expired in 1962, so it's been in the public domain ever since, which means... Anybody can use Dracula for any purpose at any time in any medium. And boy, and do people ever. People have run with it. Like, I was actually very surprised. I didn't watch it, but there was a Dracula series that from Stephen Moffat that went on the air last year on oh, Netflix. Oh, I, I watched and reviewed that. It was not good. No? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, let, me, it, let me rephrase that. The, 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 the first episode was incredible it was it was it was such a good introduction and then you as i I haven't watched a lot of Stephen moffat but as as apparently this is common for him it kind of went off the rails about like you know midway into the second season the second uh part and then the third part just like oh fuck this you know i mean it's steven steven moffat is an excellent uh single episode author and uh terrible when he has to run the entire arc of a series it just goes completely off the rails but he's an excellent like he wrote some of the best episodes of doctor who ever and then it just completely went off the rails and now i can't really watch anything he does but i mean even last year there's a as recently as that we've had a dracula adaptation and it's kind of like 
it's hard to get excited about Dracula anymore just because he's so ubiquitous and he's so kind of ingrained in our culture in so many ways. But people are still finding new ways to do things with him, and I think that's interesting. But, I mean, what a versatile character to be able to be played by both Christopher Lee and Adam Sandler. Like, <laughs> that's that's nuts. That's nuts. That's running the gamut, like, all over the place. I don't know. Do you have a favorite Dracula adaptation off the top of your head? Uh, I love, I love... Bram Stoker's Dracula, the, the, the Francis Ford Coppola so version. Right? I, I love yeah. it. Yeah, it, it's fine. It, it, it's, you know, not exactly what Stoker had in mind, and it's super over the top. And, and, oh, but I, so but I campy, just yeah. love it so, so, so much. I saw it twice in the theater. I try to watch it at least once a year. It's it's definitely my, my favorite, you know. I mean, it's not maybe not my favorite vampire movie. It's definitely my favorite adaptation of Dracula, though. Oh yeah, of of just pure Dracula. Yeah, I think that is one of the best like filmic adaptations. Uh, as as a longtime video game nerd too, I loved playing the uh, Sega Genesis version of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes, you, you play as Keanu Reeves <laughs> and you battle a twelve foot tall Tom Waits, which is like I feel like I've had dreams like that. Yes, he's like Doc, he has like these like Doc Ock arms that like come out. I and, know. Uh, oh. It's so ridiculous. He's got that pathetic little knife. Also, I have a theory that Jonathan Harker is the most boring character in oh all of the Oh, my God. And, and he, yeah, and especially in this version, the 1931 oh version. Oh, my God, He yeah. is such a drip in it. And I mean, people, people, people criticize Keanu Reeves' performance most because of his, you know, there was an attempt <laughs> at an accent. Not very good. I suspect Forsooth. It, where are you, Dracula? Yeah, this yeah. is the man himself. And then, <laughs> um, but yeah, David Manners, man, he is just like like a bowl of oatmeal on screen. Oh. He, he's no charisma. You know, he just looks mildly perturbed. Yeah, time. he's <laughs> like, I just keep thinking like, that would be the worst role to be casting in anything. If you're on stage, if you're in a movie, they're doing a Dracula. That's the last role in the world you want because your role is to be uh, inoffensively handsome, somewhat tall, and you stay out of the way. Right. Like, that's that's kind of the role of Jonathan Harker. And that is so boring. Like, they tried, like, uh, Coppola tried to spice it up with the Bram Stoker version by having... Harker be the one who goes to visit Dracula in Transylvania. Right, 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 right. But then that led to all kinds of weird plot complications where they had to explain like how he is hypnotized, but he isn't. And like, it, it got a little weird. And then we also got to downgrade Renfield, who I think is a much, much more interesting character. Um, oh yeah. He gets, yeah. he gets maximum screen time in, in, in the, in the original version. And Dwight Fry, man, he's just, he's just going all the way. With he, <laughs> He is like the MVP of this movie. Like I walked away being so much more afraid of Dwight Fry than I was of anything else in this movie. Like he is so creepy. And uh, do you have a least favorite Dracula adaptation off the top of your head? Because I I've got a juicy one, but I don't know if you anybody's uh, seen it. I mean, there was that one with a uh, uh, Gerard Butler some years ago that was pretty oh my bad. God. Um, Dracula two thousand. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Did you see the uh, Dario Argento version that came out like no twenty twelve or something but like I that? I feel like I feel like the, the, I feel like our pals at the Flophouse did an episode on that. If I'm not mistaken, they may have that. That movie is like I mean, you, you just think about Dario Argento, like Suspiria, Bird of the Crystal Plumage, like this incredible horror filmmaker and he's now reduced to making what looks like direct-to-video student films starring his daughter like it's really there's a there's a scene with a giant like horrible looking cgi praying mantis like oh it's all so so bad 
but yeah, I don't know. There's there's a there's a there's a gamut of Dracula. Oh, there's there. also. Um, Although I, I kind of, you know, I don't normally encourage people to watch stuff that's so bad it's good because it just, you know, again, life is too short. Sure. But, but you know, I, I, you have to see it to believe it version for me is, uh, well, it's, it's rather inaccurately called uh, Andy Warhol's Dracula, even though oh, he, right. he, he really had almost nothing to do with it. Um, but yeah, that one is just like, like you, you, if you wear glasses, you'll be like taking them off, like wiping them and then putting them back on again to make sure you, you, un, you you're really sure what you're seeing. Yeah. It's, it is something else. I, 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 not something good, but I mean, it's, it's remarkably bizarre. I want to check that one out. I, I wasn't really aware of that one's existence until I was uh, researching for this episode, and uh, that that sounds nuts. It sounds fully nuts. Yeah, the so only one that's crazier than that is is the the version of Frankenstein, which was they they filmed it uh, concurrently with almost the exact same cast, only they're doing Frankenstein instead of Dracula. Oh really? Uh-huh. Oh my god. Oh, that's insane! I have to that check was these just, out. That was just like repugnant, though. Dra- Dracula is just really weird. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have to choose one of them, go with Dracula. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Universal Monsters, and of course, because I'm wearing the shirt today, Dark Universe. Of course, it's going to happen, everybody. Dark Universe, baby. Sign now, up now. Now, now, I, I am excited about <laughs> uh, Karen Kusama doing Dracula at some point in the, over the next, right. next couple of years. I do not think casting has been announced yet, but that's kind of, for me personally, that's what the movie's going to live or die on. Um, you know, I really hope that they don't go with some, you know, 25-year-old playing <laughs> Dracula because he is definitely described as older. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I would you give a my left arm to have Viggo Mortensen be cast as him. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, he's oh, got he- that kind of European thing down. You know, he can convincingly do accents, and he's getting very craggy with age, yeah, which I he, think would be perfect. Yeah. Yes, and I, but but still, you know, sexy as hell. So I could definitely yeah. see, I could definitely see, you know, your women kind of getting all flustered over him. You know, I mean, I could. I, I, I do, I mean, to take it back to, to 1931 Dracula, I think that is the greatest legacy that this movie imparted onto the vampire mythology, and that's that vampires are sexy now. Like, before this, we had, like, Nosferatu, which obviously is a very loose adaptation of Dracula itself, but Max Schreck looks like a rat or a monster. Like, he looks right. like a ghoul, that, and he's that's horrifying. Because, that's become a whole different version of a vampire you've got the two conflicting vampires you've got the you've got the bella lugosi vampire and you've got the max shrek vampire which was like in the adaptation of salem's lot stephen king salem's lot the Mm. vampire that looked very much like like nosferatu oh very much you got that you got your sexy vampire and you've got your 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 scary monstrous vampire Yes, and sometimes the really great movies can combine all of them, such as 2004's Van Helsing, the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> I tried I to watch concur. that. Re- that that is a great like so bad it's good like have some drinks with your friends movie. Every time Richard Roxburgh screams one of his lines, you have to take a shot or something. Yeah, what happened to that dude? He was so great at overacting. Like, like oh between, my god! Like between that and um. um Moulin Rouge. He was just like all over the place. I, I he just... was a vampire of scenery. I will exactly. say that. <laughs> <laughs> Sucked every fr- stick of furniture dry. <laughs> 
So, yeah, so uh, a little bit about the Universal Monsters franchise. This movie and Frankenstein both came out in 1931. They were back-to-back mega smash hits, and that kind of launched this entire, kind of the first interconnected cinematic universe of sorts. You know, so we had uh, Dracula, and then Frankenstein, then The Mummy, The Invisible Man, The Wolfman, uh, Bride of Frankenstein, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. And then all of them got their own sequels, and they all got their own spinoffs and remakes, and they all got to fight Abaddon Costello. And it went on for like, what, 20, 30 years they had these movies, like for a long time. And uh, now they're trying to bring it back with what they're calling the Dark Universe. So this is Universal's big push to have their own Avengers with their proprietary characters. And so far, it's not going great. Uh, 2014, we had Dracula Untold, which is so boring, I can't conjure a single frame of it and then uh 2017 we had tom cruise in the mummy which was a very famous flop speaking of the flop house i saw their live show when they talked about that movie so that was uh that was a lot of fun but man bad movie and and i mean i don't know do does the new invisible man the lee winnell uh elizabeth moss invisible man is this part of that is that a universal movie or is that a i it's blumhouse now i think that they are trying to loop it in because it was so successful okay um and supposedly i i don't know if it's been confirmed they're going to be bringing her back for an invisible woman take now i don't i don't know what that i don't know how the what the implication that, that she's going to suddenly turn into a villain or something i mean i hope not that would be that, yeah that would be silly but but uh but yeah i, mean, I think that, i think because that was such a you know unexpected big hit that i think they are trying to loop it all together i last i read elizabeth banks was supposed to be directing a movie based on the invisible woman but i can't imagine i mean the new invisible man is so good and so pointed like it's a it's about a very very specific type of fear and i don't think anything that happens in that movie left any doors open for any kind of collaboration right 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 right. that being said i want elizabeth moss and more stuff so i'm okay if she wants to continue with it that's also true get that money So we'll see. We'll see. You know, we'll we'll see where this uh, franchise goes. Uh, they were not getting a lot of confidence from us by casting a lot of like kind of very old old school movie stars. It was Johnny Depp. It was uh, Javier Bardem was going to play Wolfman, I think. Now, see, uh, I, I could have gotten behind that. I could have get behind that. that. I could get behind that. Yeah, that's it's better than Benicio del Toro doing that in that terrible. Uh, you know, I, I saw that in the theater and I could not tell you anything about it. <laughs> I, except, yeah. it involved, except it involved a werewolf. But it somehow won an Oscar. I know that. It's got it, an Oscar it's, for it's best makeup the, effects. It's definitely one of those movies that is neither too good, neither good enough or bad enough to be remembered, which is which is kind of sad in its own way. Yeah. If you're going to put that kind of money down to you know, go see a movie, at least you're going to remember seeing it. But all, all I remember is that I did see it, but I don't right. remember anything about it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's kind of the, I don't know, that seems to be the tenor for most werewolf movies. I mean, that's a different screed for a different time, but Drac- vampires, better than werewolves, for me. I don't know, on screen, definitely better. Um, let's talk a little bit more about this movie. So direct, this is directed by Todd Browning, and this is our only chance to talk about him on this show, so a little bit about him. Uh, he was born in Kentucky in 1880, and he made him a name for himself as a vaudeville performer before being cast in D.W. Griffith's Intolerance, which I did not realize he was in. But he was a pretty popular actor until he transitioned behind the camera, where he became a very popular silent film director. He made about 50 different silent films. Uh, Dracula in 1931 was actually his very first sound feature, and you could tell he was not super comfortable 
with the technology. There are a lot of scenes like um, I'm thinking towards the end uh, before he dispatches Renfield. Like it's a wide shot. We're seeing like these really cool, very tall, tall stairs. And I can't make out a word anybody's saying because the camera and the yeah. sound equipment is too far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all echoey. So you could tell he was struggling with it a little bit. Uh, this movie was unquestionably Todd Browning's biggest hit. He would make only six more films after this in his career. The most notable one being the 1933 uh, Freaks, which used real circus performers as the cast for this really kind of grisly tale of revenge. That movie was banned in a lot of markets. It was a huge commercial and critical flop, and that essentially torpedoed Todd Browning's career. He retired in 1939, and he died in 1962 at the age of 82. But Freaks has since become kind of, it's gotten a reevaluation, and it's become kind of a cult favorite uh i really like it i don't know i think it's kind of a cool movie yeah and, and it's you know people talk about how how you know oh you can't make a movie like bleeding saddles anymore no you yeah, could but you, you could. definitely cannot make a movie like freaks again no way absolutely not no it's pretty one of a kind so you definitely want to check that out let's talk a little bit about bella lugosi because this is his movie and from what i've heard in a song he's dead i don't know undead weird. undead undead <laughs> <laughs> So, Bela Lugosi, he is one of the all-time great movie ghoulies. Like, he's one of the greatest heavies of all time. Uh, he was born Bela Ferenc Desko Basco in Hungary in 1882, and his stage name, Lugosi, comes from his hometown of Lugos, which is now part of Romania. Uh, so, he dropped out of school when he was 12, so he could pursue a career as a stage actor. Uh, he briefly uh, stopped that to go serve a tour in World War I, uh, fighting for the Austro-Hungarian Army. And then finally, uh, when he returned, he had to leave again immediately because he was very active in actors' unions and things like that. And the Hungarian Revolution of 1919 was flushing out uh, alleged communists and things like that. So he had to flee. He, let, he moved to Berlin, and then he went to Vienna, and then finally he emigrated to New Orleans. And he started getting uh, stage work and uh, some roles in a couple of early silent films. So his very first on-screen performance was in a supporting role in 1917's The Colonel, and I think because he was very tall, he was very exotic looking, and he looked, he's, he's got very deep set features that make him ve look very menacing. And so oh, naturally, yeah. they cast him as a lot of villains and heavies and tough guys. Yeah, I do not think he ever played a good guy in his career. I'm, yeah, I kind of, I don't know. I can't think of a single one. I mean, I'm not extremely well-versed in a lot of his movies, and a lot of his movies are lost to time forever. But, they're also uh, not, a lot of them are also not very good. <laughs> oh, no, no, <laughs> yeah, no, this, no, this no. Is, this is probably peak Lugosi. Yeah, um, definitely. He, he did a couple you know, other decent horror movies, but they were they were generally kind of kind of campy. You know, this is, this is, this is the best it got for him. Oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it, it. I mean, also, it, you know, when you look at the history of Hollywood, a lot of actors were pigeonholed way more than they than they are now. Like if you like, you mentioned that that Frankenstein was, um, you know, came out the same year back to back as this one. Well, uh, mm. Dwight Fry was in that too. He was, yeah. He, he played Igor, who is yeah. essentially the same character as Renfield to a certain extent. Just as and then doesn't little, like just this creepy little guy that you know that 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 helps out the villain. 
Right. And then didn't Bela Lugosi play Igor in the next Frankenstein movie? I, like, think he, I believe he did, yeah. They kept like, yeah, they all just kind of transposed these parts throughout all these universal monster like if, movies. Yeah, if you played, if you play, you know, if you were starting out as an actor in like the 1930s and you played a fairly memorable villain, you were going to be playing villains the rest of your career. It didn't, oh, yeah. it, it didn't matter. Like so, if Steve if Steve Buscemi had started acting in the thirties, he would have been like just just playing nothing but villains and generally creepy guys. I I would like to think Buscemi would go the Peter Lorre route. I think he was the Peter Lorre of our time. Yeah, but, you that, know, that's you fair. Know, that's, yeah. I think that's a good way. That's not a bad way to go. But again, Peter Lorre played exclusively creeps and weirdos. So, yeah, even you know. when his characters weren't necessarily bad, he still no. kind of had this this, this you know, weird air about him. He's just so shiny all the time. Yeah, yes. he just looks like he's sweating so heavily. But uh, yeah, Bela Lugosi, he took on the role of Dracula for the first time in 1927 in a very, very popular stage adaptation, uh, like you said, written by Hamilton Dean. Uh, And he toured around the country with that, and he lobbied very, very hard to get this role in the movie, so much so that he agreed to take a very substantial pay cut below what you would normally be paying a top-billed actor for a movie. I believe uh, Jonathan Harker made like three times what he made for this role. And he, is, and he is just like, again, watching him act is like watching paint dry. Oh, God, that's charitable. That's charitable. That's an insult to paint drying. <laughs> yeah, he is, he is dull. Uh, but, you know, I, don't, I suspect that Bela Lugosi wasn't terribly smart with his business decisions or with his money. He made no. a lot of... No. He, yeah, later in his career, he had to take a lot of paycheck gigs, you know, and, and he, was, he was basically going, you know... Hand, hands out stretched to anybody who would cast him. He was cast frequently opposite Boris Karloff, which he resented because they were they were rivals. You know, they were great rivals for like a lot of the same parts. But Kor- Karloff was a little bit more versatile. Uh, he he yeah he you know he was English and he he could speak English a little more clearly than Bella could. And a uh, couple then in the I think in the 1940s, uh, Bella had an incident with his lower back, started taking a lot of painkillers to treat it. And he eventually developed an addiction to morphine, which caused even further problems for him. And it wasn't until the mid 1950s that he got a slight, slight, slight career resurgence by meeting up with a young filmmaker named Ed Wood, who idolized him. Uh, of course, see the movie ni- uh, Ed Wood from 1994 from Tim Burton, one of my very favorite films of all time, where he's played by Martin Landau. It'll give you a really great uh, cross-section of their relationship. But yeah, Bella, uh, no longer with us. Uh, he died in 1956 at the age of 74 uh, of a heart attack. But yeah, now he is... He's Dracula forever. Like, he he's kind of wrecked the template. Like, if you... I think even now, like... Even if this isn't the Dracula you grew up with, when you think of Dracula, you, you're thinking of him. Yeah, you know? it's just that that image that, that again was was entirely separate of the book. Oh yeah, completely separate. Completely, yeah, you know uh, the the Gary Oldman version in uh, 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 Bram Stoker's Dracula is maybe closer, uh, but still not very. Um, all right, so a little bit about the production of this movie. So, kind of ironically, this production was very heavily influenced by the 1922 uh, German film Nosferatu which was an unofficial version of Bram Stoker's Dracula. The widow of Bram Stoker sued the production and tried to have every copy of that movie destroyed. That's another episode that we'll talk about all that. But either way, uh, copies did get to America, and the filmmakers of this film saw that and wanted to do that over here. But this time they went to the uh, widow themselves. They got the proper licensing and rights, and they did it the, uh, the, the regular way. 
Um, but the screenplay was based on the immensely popular stage play, and uh, Bela Lugosi took a very heavy pay cut so that he could be involved in the production. Um, and this was a bit of a budget production because you'll notice there's no music in the movie. It was done because they simply didn't want to license any music outside of a few seconds of Swan Lake during the credits. And this is one of those like production decisions that really kind of makes the movie for me. It's kind of like Jaws not working. You know, it's, it's, uh, I don't, the silence of this movie and how comfortable it is with the silence is really effective to me. Uh, oh, yeah. watching it yeah, this yeah, new yeah. time, like, the, uh, the scene in particular where we first meet Dracula and his brides are coming out of their coffins and we're just kind of panning through this underground crypt and the hands are creepily crawling out of the coffin while it's dead silent. Like you would expect, I think in, in my head, I was hearing strings over this. You know, I was hearing a typical 1930s like film soundtrack and it's just nothing. You could hear a pin drop and it's so much creepier for that. I don't know. I think that's just a really cool. Yeah, choice. no, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's it's. Whereas again, uh, you know, you, you can't help but continue to compare this to Coppola's version because he did lift so much from it and yet made it so much his own thing. <laughs> like the the music in Coppola's version is way over the top and it's always you know kind of playing in the background and very like you know almost like an epic action movie in some Operatic, scenes yeah yeah, yeah it's huge. And, and here everything is very 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 understated yeah but it's it's all the more to its effect i mean this movie definitely i think loses some steam a little bit towards the end which is you know unfortunate for a 75 minute long movie yeah uh, yeah but i think having that silence in the early going really uh sells the the creepy atmosphere of this movie one other note I will say about the production is that there is a Spanish language version of this film that was made at the exact same time on the exact same sets. The uh, Spanish language crew would come in at night after the American crew had wrapped and they shot basically the same movie. Some people uh, point to that one as the superior version. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if that's just contrarianism or not, but uh, apparently it's a very good version. I haven't seen it myself. I have not either. I, I think it's it's a little bit hard to find. Oh, is it really? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I could be yeah, wrong. L- I don't know. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'd make an excuse. Right. I'd make an excuse for why I haven't seen it. <laughs> that's what I'm going to say from now on. It's like, oh my god, did you see the new movie on Netflix? Oh, sorry, I don't think it's available anymore. <laughs> exactly. Oh. There you go. It's one of those lost movies. Crazy how that happens. Yeah. All right. So yeah. Well, uh, so this movie opens with uh, a really cool. I, I love a good matte shot. Like I love a good matte background. Oh, and it's a this great. One, it's a great one. Oh, it's an astonishing one. Like, it looks really good. And you have the real road in front with the carriage going down it. And then this amazing, like, background of the Transylvanian mountains shrouded in fog. And all the locals are afraid of Walpurgsnacht, uh, which I forgot to look up. But yeah, it's a, it's a scary night where Dracula is out and about. And there's a young solicitor named uh, Renfield who is delivering some kind of. Bi- Do we know what kind of business he's on with Dracula? I don't know if he's a real est- he's a real estate solicitor. I think he's oh, there to okay. to uh, to sell him the plot of uh, the, the plot of land in Carfax Abbey. Oh, okay, okay. I see, I see. I, I missed that little detail, but I know that he was coming in. And uh, Dwight Fry plays Renfield, and like I said, he's really great. Like uh, in the early going here, he's like incredibly prissy and very like uptight and kind of buttoned down and then uh it, it makes for a really great transition when you see what happens to him later I, yes. I i i gotta say that that you were talking about favorite versions mm-hmm. of dracula i i don't love 
the version I'm about to mention, <laughs> that's going to be Dracula Dead loving it. Yes. But, oh, my but, God. But it... Peter McNichol plays Renfield, and he is so good. <laughs> I, I use that movie as an example all the time of, like, if you think of, like, the best performance in the worst movie. Yeah. Like, I think of that movie. Like, Peter McNichol is going so far beyond what that movie requires he's, of he's him. He's closest to actually doing Dwight Fry in it. He's got the little hee hee which is, like, the funniest thing. And Peter McNichol, if you've ever heard his laugh, like, watch him on Veep or something. Like, he's got this great, incredibly raspy, like, loud, booming laugh. And it's he employs it so perfectly in that movie. Like, you could honestly like skip around that scene and just watch anything with Peter McNichol. And yeah, you'll I'm, get the I'm, most I'm out sure of that there's movie. like a super cut on YouTube of like Renfield's best moments from Dracula Dead and loving it, and then you oh. can watch that and be good. You'll you'll get the absolute like best parts of that movie. Um, but yeah, so we're we're getting all these really creepy images. Like we're we're not we're not being coy at all about who Dracula is. Like this movie's very efficient. Like we're not. We're not building this up like that. Maybe he could be a monster. Maybe he's not. No, the first thing we see of him is hypnotizing a bunch of beautiful young undead women crawling out of coffins, you know. Uh, Bela Lugosi does so much with eyes and with fingers, and I'm not entirely sure how he does it with his I know in Ed Wood, he said he's double-jointed. He said, you must be double-jointed and you must be Hungarian. But he's got these, like massive, massive hands, and his fingers are always just moving at these really unnatural angles like they look arthritic almost but he's fully in control of them it's it's really cool like great hand acting if you're going to like single in on this individual part of a person's body like amazing hand acting from Bela Lugosi in this movie yeah and he uh he doesn't have a lot of dialogue but I don't think that necessarily has anything to do with Bela Lugosi's accent I think just he just the the Dracula himself just does not have a lot of dialogue and no. he he doesn't really in, in in a lot of adaptations. Another 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 pretty solid adaptation is um, the nineteen seventy eight version with Frank Langella, oh, where yeah. he he says almost nothing for the the, the entire the, the entire movie. Yeah, um, he just kind of stares a lot, but but you know the way that the they they shoot him they film him that he sort of has a sort of like almost like bar of light in front of his eyes right and it's a really arresting effect because again he's he's very unique looking not not unattractive but not like drop dead handsome either he's no. very just very distinctive looking but he's he's commanding yeah, yeah that's the thing like not traditionally handsome but like there's something about him that's very attractive you know in a lot it's of definitely ways got, it definitely you know puts across the idea of women find themselves drawn to him but they're afraid of him at the same time which yeah. is which is what you want for 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 Dracula. Yeah. I mean, I I kept having a mental block in these early scenes especially when he's talking to Renfield where I couldn't I couldn't unsee Count von Count from Sesame Street <laughs> and just thinking like Wow, they really nailed it! Like they they got the they got the nose shape, they got the ear shape. Like they really nailed that uh, interpretation of him on Sesame Street. Uh, but I don't know. It it's still really cool. And uh, like I'm noticing a lot. I've watched a couple of like older silent films from this era. I recently actually I talked with your spool uh, uh, cohort Tim Stevens about Faust a couple weeks ago, and there's some amazing there's just some amazing things that they do with the eyes in these old silent movies. They have a way of lighting them so that like the sclera looks luminescent 
It's just like kind of popping out of like a shadowy figure, you know. In Dracula, it's a little more obvious how they do it. They've got kind of like the spotlight on his eyeballs or like the the bar of light going across there that really makes it pop. But it's still incredibly evocative and it just really works well. Um, so yeah, he uh, it manages to do something to Renfield. Like it's never quite clear. We don't get a lot of details about the lore of Dracula here or like how or what how the rules work necessarily. Like, we understand that Renfield is under his power now, but he's not, like, a full vampire. No, he's, like, his minion. Uh, he, generally, the, the lore is that is that Dracula promises that he will turn him into a vampire. Right. Which is, which is, which is you know, also results in a very funny episode of, uh, of what we do in the shadows. Yes. Where, where you see, you know, how often... <sighs> vampires with their uh, their familiars uh uh you kind of you know, manipulate them you know for years by probably yeah them but i'm gonna make you a vampire soon yeah it's gonna happen soon <laughs> in the meantime keep eating bugs you know right, <laughs> it's fine exactly. big fat I, I spider my, my suggestion my, my interpretation was whatever he saw or experienced in the castle was just so horrifying that like his brain just broke Right. And, and, yeah. and that certainly in the Coppola version, that like somehow you know Harker Jonathan Harker was able to you know even though he saw a bunch of female vampires basically eat a baby, he, <laughs> he you know was able to kind of steal himself and and you know keep his wits about him. Whereas Renfield just kind of you know you know, fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, and it's really emphasized because we we get kind of a hard cut of. Uh, like Dracula looming over his body about to do something. And then we cut to a ship on the sea and he's being taken in his coffin to uh, England. And we get that immediate transition in Dwight Fry where now all of a sudden he is crazy town banana pants and just oh, like I lurking and muttering. I love that long shot of him coming up the the stairs. He's just like got this like maniacal grin oh. on his face. And it, that shot holds for a while. They it, really it, focus it, on it. it, it it feels like it's a it's a it's a still shot, but it isn't. It's just holding on him, and like he doesn't blink, and he just he, he's just got this like you know you know psychotic grin on his face, almost like almost a little bit like the Joker, and I, and 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 it, it's just it's very chilling. It's it's kind of funny, but it's also chilling at the same time. I was gonna say this was the one moment in the movie that like genuinely gave me chills. You know, I think we're kind of inured to a lot of the thrills and the scares that are in this movie by now, because it is pretty slow and it's pretty old and, uh, the, the bats are very, very rubber, but man, Dwight, Dwight Fry making that face in the, the light, like, especially knowing that everyone on the deck is like horrifyingly dead. Like we get right. a shadow shot, like just a silhouette of the Tillerman. Like he's, he strapped himself to the wheel, but he's dead. Like we can see his like head thrown back in a really creepy way. And, that is the face of somebody you would expect to have murdered an entire ship full of men. <laughs> like, right, right. It's really effective, you know. So uh, Renfield gets sent to a local sanitarium and Dracula starts going out on the town. And it made me realize how little you see Dracula in the company of like mortals in most interpretations of Dracula these days. He's he's usually lurking in a castle by himself, but here he's just like walking the streets in a top hat like like anybody else. And it's weirdly more creepy that he does that. I don't know, that he's just like perfectly comfortable kind of walking out among these people. Uh, he murders a poor flower girl, just kind of uh, hypnotizes her and, and kills her. 
Uh, and then we got to meet the rest of the cast. There's Dr. Seward, who runs the sanitarium. There's uh, his daughter, Mina, who is engaged to Jonathan. And then there is her friend, Lucy. Lucy, maybe one of the most frequently, regularly abused characters. Oh, in yeah. Oh, yeah. Literature. Well, that's one of the reasons why I really did not care for Stephen Moffat's take on it. Because oh, really? he, he turned her into this kind of jaded party girl who who didn't really care that 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 you know that she had a death wish and didn't really oh. and i'm like yeah right and you know make a jerk off gesture with my hand you know i mean i just yeah didn't, i i did not care for that in- interpretation of her that's like and, and, coding and, 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 it right it's like coding is like oh oh she she wanted it to happen she's like had it coming she's a party girl yeah that's bullshit right which is you know and it also doesn't make any sense because dracula is attracted to purity yeah, and and you know he he's attracted to a, a pure part person, and you know Lucy for being you know I, I wouldn't say the word you know slutty would apply no. to her. You know, she she you know kept her options open. Let's Whatever say, the 1880s version of that would right, be. right, but there yeah, was no yeah. there's nothing suggesting that she actually was sleeping with all these suitors. Just that she was kind of maybe stringing them along a little bit and and seeing which one she liked the best, but she was still, you know, a good girl, for lack of a better phrase. And there was still something, you know, pure in her that Dracula was attracted to. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, her, the the nature of her character is kind of to be fodder. It's kind of to uh, let Dracula break into the world of these characters in a significant way, but it's still, it's not a satisfying character arc or well-written Right. Yeah. She's she's rarely been portrayed well. No, no, which I'd, I'd like to see that chance. I don't know. I'm always interested in like superfluous or supporting characters and their rich inner lives and things like that, rather than what's going on with whatever Jonathan is. Uh, but I will say, I think Helen Chandler is quite good as Mina. Um, she has some, she, she has some good moments later on, especially when, uh, she's hypnotized and she doesn't fully know that she's hypnotized, you know? And, uh, like she's pointedly refusing to go into the house and like, I don't know, lots of little creepy choices that she's making later on. But yeah, yeah, I made, I wrote in my notes, Jonathan is somehow even less useful here than in any other film I've seen. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's, he's nothing. He's just like a really boring nothing. Yeah. He, Uh, he, like I said, he just looks annoyed at, uh, at, at, at everybody. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Uh, we do get, um, we also get to meet Van Helsing, who is a visiting doctor. He's played by Edward Van Sloan here. I thought it was striking that he looks very much like Anthony Hopkins, who played him in Coppola's version. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, No, I, I, that's, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that's deliberate. That had to be a choice. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, so yeah, you know, and, and Van Helsing for some reason is able to withstand Dracula's hypnotism. It's never fully examined why I think we're just meant to believe Dracula just says you have a stronger will, you know, and of course the lore would kind of go down that uh, that Van Helsing is like a, a legendary family of vampire hunters or something like that. We don't really get any kind of indication of that here. Um, I will say once once Van Helsing gets into it, like the movie starts getting very talky and gets kind of slow. Um and this is where it was kind of like I was kind of checking my watch a little bit because Yeah, it's also where you can tell you're watching uh, you're watching something that was originally based on a play. Right. This is the moment where we get like uh Dracula leaves and then Jonathan goes to the window and says, "What is that? There's a big dog running across the yard." Like it's like, <laughs> "Okay, all right. Let's let's calm down here." Um so I was curious too about the uh the crucifix mechanism. Has that like completely dropped from vampire mythology lately? I the only time I ever see it is when they're making like fun of it or they're 
vampires you mean, are like mocking va- it. You mean as far as vampires being afraid of uh, crosses and all? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I again, you know, the Moffat version actually handled it pretty creatively. Uh, hmm. His, uh, I, I don't want to say too much because it gives away a twist in the movie, but but oh, um, he like he is prevented from entering a church and like the way he goes about it is pretty pretty clever and gruesome. Um, I think I think only at this point only uh, traditional you know this is supposed to be a direct adaptation of Dracula still use it. There's yeah. some like like Fright Night in, uh, use it. Of course, Fright Night also had the the concept of. You know, you have to believe this is going to work in order for it to work, which is which right. is which is which I always thought. I don't know if Fright Night originated that, but that's always my my first. Whenever I think of that idea, I think of that first, which I, I think is a pretty clever idea. I mean, if you don't yeah. actually believe that it's going to help, then it's Did, uh, probably not going to work because you know, it means you don't have any faith. It's just it's kind of interesting, and I think maybe just as we become a more and more secular culture like i think that the the religious imagery is not going to be the ward against evil that you think it is like right. in the 30s and 40s so but it's an interesting thing i don't know it's it's interesting to see the way that the mythology of the character has changed and mutated along the way and even now like I, I guess you know the stoker text would be kind of like the official canon of it but there's a lot of things that have kind of come and go from that canon so it's interesting to look back on yeah but i mean Again, like Renfield keeps popping up. For some reason, he seems to have the run of the sanitarium. He can just kind of leave his cell and walk around the grounds whenever he wants and like it keeps butting into conversations. Uh, but again, he's doing some really amazing work here. And I think the creepiest shot in the movie is when the maid collapses and then Renfield like crawls in really close like and we think that he's gonna eat her or bite her or something it's like he's practicing or something like that he's practicing his sweet vampire moves for for when he's turning into a vampire which will definitely be any day now any time now his master <laughs> said so yeah he wouldn't lie to him he's a he's a totally respectable legitimate man who lives in dirt and under the ground <laughs> But yeah, it's a really good shot. And like, you don't know exactly what happens to that maid until you see her again later. And the maid and the orderly, like in charge of Renfield, have the the closest thing we have to comic relief. Yeah. And they're, they're very stagey. Like those actors and those characterizations. Oh, the orderly has a, an impenetrable Irish accent. Like I, oh, I, God. I could barely understand maybe every two or three words that he said. But it's also like... It's so it's so community theater like their their roles are just very like earnest and loud, you know, like but they do get a really great line him and the maid. He's like, they're all crazy except you and me. Sometimes I have my doubts about you. And then her answer is just yes. And then he just slowly (laughs) backs away from her. Like, I kind of love that. It's like a non punchline. But I actually laughed at that. And his reaction to that is she's like, yes, I'm crazy. I don't know. I like that idea. And, and then, so we get to the kind of the big climax of the film, which is Dracula taking Mina back to his castle so that he can turn her into a vampire. And I just kind of love how very old-fashioned this whole chase scene is because it's like Harker and then Van Helsing, and they're both kind of very slow-moving. Lugosi is carrying Mina Harker's body, and he's clearly struggling. Like, he's not strong enough to be able to move easily carrying this woman. And they and really all he does is he locks the door and he runs downstairs and takes a nap and that's his defense mechanism. <laughs> it's like this door will hold. Blah! I must go sleep now. Like so, he was pretty pretty vulnerable by the time they got to him. And 
I remember seeing this movie when I was much younger and thinking like, oh, that's it? Like he's just gonna he's just gonna die off screen. Like there's no there's no like showdown. He doesn't come yeah, back. There's, there's no like no last big, There's no big like epic standoff, or, which is pretty. That's that's pretty commonplace for for even straight adaptations of Dracula. You've got that big, like again to go back to the Coppola version. You've got them like chasing like a horse, like a you know a a, a you know, carriage chase. They go up yeah. a mountain and and they cut his head off and stab him in the back, and it's all pretty you know. It's all pretty epic. And here, like we mentioned earlier, like Van Helsing goes into his chamber. All you hear off screen is, is Bella goes going, oh, and then Van yeah, Helsing's like, no, yeah. that's it. <laughs> that was it. A vampirism cured. Nobody's a vampire anymore. It's but Miller I mean, time. You know? even, even, even comparing it with Frankenstein from later that year, Frankenstein ends with a huge set piece, like with the, the burning tower and like everything like that. Like it's a big, impressive set piece. And here it just seems to kind of end, you know, and Dracula is a much more menacing figure. Oh, excuse me. A much more menacing figure. So it's just kind of surprising that it just kind of peters out like that. And again, it's a very stagey thing, you know, and we are we are looking at a film play in a lot of ways. But yeah, everything kind of wraps up pretty neatly in the last like 30 seconds and then it's roll to end credits, you know, so... That's that's Dracula. That's that's uh, the whole story of 1931's Dracula. And it's again, like we've kind of covered it a little bit, but it's it's one of those movies that's so iconic. It kind of doesn't need to be good to be great. If that I don't know if I'm if I'm digging myself into a tautological hole here, but like it's uh, it's left such an indelible mark on the culture that I could understand why Ebert would want to include it on this list like this is a big iconic movie that stemmed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of imitators and sequels and, and really had a very huge influence on the culture. But again, I don't know if this is a great movie. I don't know if this is one I would break out at a Halloween party or if I'm, if I'm feeling like watching vampire anything, I don't know that I would go to Dracula. I think it's, you know, it's, 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 it's very atmospheric. I think yeah. it, and again, if you want to see the blueprint for every other vampire movie that you've known and loved, it's here. Yeah, I mean, there, oh, are, there are certain there. There are just certain you, even even the vampire movies that aren't, uh, um, you know, I- immediate adaptations of Dracula still take little bits and pieces. Yeah, you know, there a lot of the you know, you know, you know, women love him, men fear him, and nobody <laughs> knows why, and it's because he's sexy, and nobody knows how to handle that. Do you know what I mean? Like like yeah. like, you know, you, you take a movie like Fright Night. There are aspects of it there. You've got the you know, it's always you know the you know, you know the loner that kind of moves into town, and everybody's sort of intrigued, but a little a little put off by him at the same time. Yeah, you know, there's just a lot of aspects that they all come directly from that. It's true, and it's it's the most interesting and impactful element of this movie: this idea that his victims might go into their victimhood willingly, like they might. Or at least they've convinced themselves that they want to be taken in this way, which is interesting because I mean. If you think about it, vampires are really just, they're just parasites, you know? They're not they're not sexy beings or anything like that. And, and our interpretation of Dracula and different vampires before this had all been grotesque monsters that look like plague-carrying rats, you know? So it's, it's definitely interesting to see this kind of austere, uh, regal interpretation of this character. And uh, the influences, I think a lot of other filmmakers have run with this idea and done much better and more interesting and complex things with it. But it's pretty cool to see the origins of it here, for sure. Yeah. 
So I think that, or I think that if you are a horror fan, you, you should check it off your list at some point if you haven't oh, by now. And yeah, you're not going to lose any sleep over it, but it but it, it looks good. It's got some you know, really memorable shots. Like again, I, I can't talk enough about you know how you know Renfield as the Renfield we know of is introduced. Just it, yeah, you, you, I'm sure you can even probably I'm sure if you just Google Renfield, it'll be like the first result. And and There's he allegedly you know, he, a uh, one of the Dark Universe movies is supposed to be a Renfield spinoff. I don't know how well that would work, but apparently there is uh, oh, supposed I don't to be a think Renfield. They need to- I don't think they need to do that. <laughs> I don't think they do either. I don't think they do either. But, you know, it's it's on the docket, apparently. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, considering that he dies in, in, in most versions, um, yeah. I don't know. And, and, you know, it's not going to be his origin story. We know what his origin story is. Yeah. Yeah. He's a guy. Then he gets hypnotized and then he goes crazy. Yeah. It's, right, it's not exactly. terribly complicated. Well, Gina, thank you so, so much for being here to talk about Dracula with me. This was so much fun. Oh, um, my pleasure. Tell people where they can find you and uh, tell us a little bit about Kill by Kill because it's it's the podcast idea I am most furious I didn't think of because it's brilliant. <laughs> I uh, I do co-host the Kill by Kill podcast in which we talk about horror movies uh, with a focus on the characters and the odd little background details and stuff like that. Um, we are also doing a side project in which we are talking about Hannibal episode by episode. Ooh. Uh, so just look up Kill by Kill on whatever your podcast aggregator of your choice is. Um, I am also a writer at The Spool. Uh, I do tend to lean towards horror, but not always. Uh, some recent reviews I did were of uh, Ratchet, which I mm-hmm. did not enjoy. Um, and I also, by the time this... Uh, this goes live. I will also have reviewed Glenn Danzig's Magnum Opus Veronica, which is also oh. not good. Which is also not good. Like I've kind of been, I've been very curious about that, but I'm also like afraid to watch it because it sounds revolting. It, it is. It, it, it is. I I did watch it for my podcast, and then I allowed myself to be assigned to write a review of it because it is now it is now is soon going to be available on Shutter because oh, I. No. Am a, Glutton for punishment. Hey, I mean, if you saw it, you might as well get something out of it, right? Exactly. You know? exactly. I, I might as, as well bring it. it for every little bit of anger I can direct towards it. <laughs> and I am full of anger right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of good reasons to be angry right now. Um, yes. But you know what? Let's 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 all, I don't know. I have no words to calm down how horrible things are. But, no, just you know, be angry. Let yourself be, be angry. angry. Everybody. Yeah, yeah. Retreat to your little caves under the ground and then strike at night i guess exactly well thank you so so much again for being here we are a rogers list pod at all the different social media elements or platforms you can find us on letterboxd as well uh where we're doing a ranking of all the movies that we've watched so far uh and be sure to tune in next week because we are talking about i don't know let me look at my list oh we are talking about another literary adaptation this is uh david lean's adaptation of charles dickens great expectations which is a story i've read many times i've seen many film versions but i have not seen this one so i'm excited uh so tune in for that one just next week and uh thank you again everybody and have a great night 